up, everybody. I, hi. I've missed you. How you doing? I want to, uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've been on stage, and um, it's not, uh, I, 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 Craig is on sabbatical. I'm not. Uh, and so I've been around working, but I want to give from the top here just a shout out. Uh, to uh, the people who have carried the, the word to you the past couple of weeks, to Kristen Jacobson, my lovely wife, to Shibu Matthew, my good friend, and to Brad Herndon, my counterpart. Can you guys just say thanks for bringing the word? Because the last couple of weeks here have been uh, an incredible, incredible, incredible weeks. And um, what, what we hope you see at Heartland is that we uh, trust deeply that God has given us a way to live, but it's also relevant to today. And so um, that's uh, just, it's good to see you guys. I um, am excited to carry on this series, Asking for a Friend. And uh, honestly, friendship is something just from the get-go that I find to be difficult. I, I just, I find it to be unnatural sometimes, or really just, just taking a lot of extra effort uh, the older I get in life. And so um, as Brad and I sat down to craft this series along with our communicator team, I was kind of like, yeah, asking for a friend. This is like Dan Jacobson's series that he needs. This would be great. Like, please help me as I, as I do this. And, um, and so Brad just like kicked off an incredible, the series incredibly last week. And, and, um, and I had this experience where I was like, I don't know, I don't know how, what I'm going to talk about. Uh, this Sunday. Have you ever had that experience where you had to get up on stage on Sunday because you didn't, you didn't know? No, that's just a me thing? That's just a me thing. Well, um, so as, as God would have it, as fate would have it, as whatever would have it, um, last weekend I was actually um, on vacation and I was taking one of my sons to a camping trip in Oregon. Uh, now, this wasn't my idea. Uh, <laughs> my son is seven. And uh, to go camping... In the Pacific Northwest, sounds like I'm a really cool guy and a really great dad, but the truth is I am not an enthusiastic camper and I've never been to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I, I actually have this friend from our old church. Uh, we lived in the same neighborhood together. We went to the same church together and our kids were all friends. He even named his daughter the same weird name that we named our daughter. Like it's one of those types of situations and uh, became really good friends. And, and he has a friend who runs these epic whitewater rafting trips out in Oregon on the Rogue River. They sell out every year. And when we moved here in Can to Kansas, he also moved to Michigan. And he said, hey, wouldn't it be fun if a year after we move, we take our sons on this epic camping trip in the Pacific Northwest? And so I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing. And so um, literally days before we're about to fly out, I get COVID. But it's okay. I've been practicing my immunity. I beat it. That's a joke because I don't know how you do that. It's just like... It was a lot of prayer and honestly a little bit of like God's miraculous intervention that I tested neg negative and was able to go. And, but, but this whole time I texted my friend the week before we left going, bro, I, I love that we're doing this trip, but I don't, I'm sick, man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Like, like, and, and I just really felt like I was letting my, my good friend down. Have you ever felt like you've let your good friend down? And then somehow God let me go on this trip. Miles and I, we uh, hopped in an airplane last week and we left from Kansas City and we got all the way out to Portland, like kind of be beyond all the odds, beating all the odds. Here we are a year after we've planned this trip, like it's epic. He's going to see his friends go fishing. Here's um, the text that I got from my friend when we landed in Portland. He goes this, our flights were just canceled out of Detroit, hoping I can reschedule and still get us there. Just wanted to give you a heads up. 
Well, spoiler alert, 30 minutes later, he would call me and say, Dan, we can't come. But enjoy Oregon. <laughs> I, my heart, like, sank, you know? Because there, there was, like, a lot of expectation to be with a friend with an undivided amount of time and have uh, just, just attention there and to be together. But um, we... He couldn't make it. And then I had to tell my son, your two friends who you were going to go fishing with and spend all this time with who you haven't seen in a year, they're not, they're not coming. And I wish I was more concerned about how my son was going to feel in this moment. But to be quite honest with you, I started to feel anxious. I started to feel like the newness of the situation, being away from familiar faces, not having anyone that I know within uh, five, six hundred miles around me, all of a sudden became a little bit too much for me to, to think about. And, and I, I started to have these thoughts as if it was like the first day of, of, of kindergarten. Will I like the people that I'm going to hang out with? There's 50 dads and their kids on this father-son camping trip, all of them Portlandians. I don't know if I like those people. I don't even know if I know anything about those people. Will I like them? And, and what will, all of a sudden I started going to like food, like what will we eat and where will I sit at lunch? Who, who will I talk to? Uh, and, and what if they find out that all of these Pacific Northwest guys who I just imagine are like hulking Paul Bunyan men. <laughs> what if they find out that I really don't even know how to set up a camp? Will they spot me as an imposter? And I got anxious. I got nervous. And I told my son, I said, hey, um, our, our friends who we took this trip with, who we were really excited to be with, can't come. They're not going to make it, buddy. Are you okay? And from the back seat, my seven-year-old son goes, oh, that's okay, Dad. We'll make some new ones. Let's go. That was supposed to be my line. Like that, as the dad, I'm supposed to be like, it's okay, son, we'll make some new friends. Um, and so uh, with the encouragement of my seven-year-old, that's, that's, that's what we did. We rolled into camp. Thankfully, the car rental place upgraded me to a pretty sweet camping truck. And we rolled in like we belonged there and started to make some friends. And by the end of the couple of days that we had been hanging out, we have some really good friends now that are in Oregon. Actually, here's a picture of, of us and our friends. Uh, this is Drew and Shane, and back in the back is Ryan. Ryan and I are FaceTiming a little bit this, later this week. And um, this is the Rogue River. It's really incredible. If you've never been, um, maybe I can take you sometime. I'd love to uh, take like a dad son trip out to Oregon if anyone would join me. It was just an incredible, incredible time. Um, here, here's the open secret of life, right? This is an open secret. I mean, everybody knows it, but we don't talk about it, right? The open secret is that the, the older you get, you don't necessarily make friends easier, right? Uh, the older you get, sometimes the harder it is to make friends. Uh, we, we look at kids and it's so easy for them to actually make friends. Uh, this week, um, there's a lot of students who are returning to school, maybe already returned to school. And for, for these students who are maybe going to a new school or to a new area or, or, or to uh, a new situation, you, you, you maybe had the same anxieties that I felt walking into a campsite this past week of like, will I like where I am? Where will I sit at lunch? Who will I talk to? Will anybody actually like talk to me? Will they think I'm an imposter? Will I belong here? 
I'm also acutely aware, the older I get, that you know, the new school experience isn't just limited to students, but there's a lot of new teachers and new administrators who are walking into the new school year with the same anxieties that the students have. They just mask them a little bit better. They're thinking, will I like my coworkers? Will they, be- will they accept me? Will my degrees be enough? Will I belong here? Will I have fun? Where will I sit at lunch and who will I eat with? Right? We all have the same fundamental questions, the same fundamental tensions, the same fundamental anxieties. And yet, it seems like for kids, it's a lot easier. It's almost like you just add water. Like my son at this campsite, all he did was take a wiffle ball bat and a wiffle ball and walk through the middle of everybody's camp, camp setups. And, and all of a sudden, a, a whole game formulated where all the kids came out and played baseball. Wiffle ball. I don't know. Are those equivalent? I think they are. Uh, <laughs> And all of a sudden, they're friends. And, and yet, there's dads who are sitting in the background going, I don't know if I can trust what's going on here, right? It's, it's harder the older you get. Kristen used to encourage uh, the high school students that she was uh, a teacher over with one of the greatest lines about college that I've ever heard. She, she would tell high school students that the best days of friendship are in college. Uh, because you live together, you have all this time together, you have all these common interests, all these common goals. She would tell them, you make friends in college as easy as you make ramen. <laughs> you just add water and stir and it happens. And then you graduate. And then you lose some of the perfect environment that exists for you to be known and loved and accepted and cared for. You see... What what we realize the older we get is that friendships don't just happen. I want to say this. Friendships don't just happen. They're a labor of love. A labor of love. Now, maybe you don't necessarily think about friendships and the word love in the same sentence too often. You know, love is a a word in English that means a whole bunch of things. But um, sometimes we use it most to talk about romantic relationships or we talk about familial relationships. Or you talk about it the way you talk about the Royals or the Chiefs or Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, we we all love Patrick Mahomes. Uh, But uh, there's a... There's a movie that I think really illustrates this uh, point the best. It's from my growing up years. It's from the late 90s. Uh, I don't know if this will hit with anybody, but it really it resonates with me deeply. Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Anybody? No? The Heath Ledger, RIP. Um, this is a very young... Yeah, never mind. Uh, so, so in this scene, uh, Bianca, right? You guys remember the, the movie. Bianca and her friend Chastity are talking, and they're explaining the difference between like and love. And now I would play this for you, but for copyright reasons, I don't want us to lose our church. So instead, I'm just going to walk you through what's happening in the scene by, by myself. And so here's my best impression of 10 Things I Hate About You, Bianca and Chastity's conversation. Right, ready? Uh, she goes, uh, there's a difference between like and love because I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. <laughs> Chastity says, but I love my Skechers. Bianca says, but that's because you don't have a Prada backpack. (laughs) And then Chastity goes, as if that's like all that there is for love, right? Love is a word in the English language that has a tremendous semantic meaning. We we could use it to talk about an entire uh, spectrum of emotion. Our inability to understand love and friendship 
actually is not a problem that exists within you. You are more than capable of understanding love and friendship. Uh, our inability as a culture to actually associate love and friendship ha has really nothing to do with our society even. Like, like our society doesn't have some major flaw that keeps us from understanding what love and friendship looks like. It is absolutely 100% a deficiency in our common language, English. Because we have one word to describe the complexity and the nuance and the differences that exist in this emotion and this feeling called love. I was doing some reading on this this week because I'm a little bit of a nerd. And uh, I, I found out this to be fascinating that there, there's languages all around the globe that have multiple words to describe, to describe different types of love. Sanskrit. Sanskrit is a, a very you know, popular root language for many different, they've got 96 words to describe what we use one word for, 96. Ancient Persian had 80 words to describe different forms of love. Famously, Greek, which uh, half the Bible was written in Greek, G Jesus, uh, uh, his words are translated from Aramaic into Greek. The first Christians were Greek-speaking. They have famously four words for love. And those four words actually inform for us who are Jesus followers the different ways that God loves and we love one another. And one of these words, one of these four words is actually the word philios. Philios. Can you just play along with me in like a little bit of a school moment where we say philios together? Philios. Now you know a little bit about philios because if you've ever taken philosophy, uh, philios is love. Sophos is wisdom. So philosophy is the love of wisdom, right? Uh, if, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, it is the city of brotherly love, right? It, actually, the technical sense of it is, is love that describes your friendship. It's, it's the love that you have for someone who's not in your own family. You love them as if they were a brother. You love them as if they were a sister. And this philios love is, is incredibly prevalent in the New Testament. When, when Jesus came and he commissioned his followers to start this movement called the church, it was based around this idea of friendship love that mirrors the divine love of God. And so the, the best way for me to show this to all of us here in the quickest amount of time is to actually take us to one of uh, the, the early letters written by Paul. He was a follower of Jesus who was very influential, and he wrote a letter to those Jesus followers living in the city of Rome. It's an incredible letter. It's all about the welcoming of God to us who are so unlike God. That, that you know, so follow that for a second. So, so God is so different than us, but yet he welcomes us to himself, right? He did that by sending his son Jesus to free us from all the religious shackles that bind us, he did this by dying on the cross as a substitute uh, sacrifice, by paying our bill. He did all the religious stuff that we weren't good enough to do. And Paul makes this eloquent, very logical case for why all humanity needs Jesus to come and set us free. The first half of Romans is all about how God has welcomed us back to himself because of Jesus. But then the second half, the entire second half of this incredible letter is all about how we then are to welcome one another who are so unlike God and often so unlike ourselves. The root of friendship is often homogeny. Friendship is... Um, as C.S. Lewis and Brad pointed this out last week, it's a very true thing. It's, it's, it's when two people get together and they say, oh, what, you too? Like, you're in this too? You like this too? 
So much of the friendships that we have, and this is a good thing, we, this is not a bad thing, this is a good thing, it's, it's designed to be around a common activity or a common interest or a common point. That's why we have meetups here where if you're someone who loves to uh, kayak or paddleboard, like we've got common interests for you to connect with because we know that friendships happen over like-minded things. But then there's something about this philios which actually crosses the interest line and brings diverse groups of people together so that they could be friends. And in doing that represents the goodness of God to the world. Philios has behind it this really unique mission of friendship. And, and so how do followers of Jesus who are not perfectly like Jesus get along with other followers of Jesus who are not perfectly like Jesus? If this was like an old school like fire and brimstone church, which thank God we're not. But if this were, I would say, how do a whole bunch of sinners get along with a whole bunch of sinners? Right? This is one of the questions that the people who are maybe not church attending folks ask. They look at the church and they go, that's a whole bunch of bad people acting good. Well, with other bad people acting good. And the whole thing stinks of, do you know what the word is? Hypocrisy. Right. So here's what Paul says about that. He says love, this is, I'm going to walk you through this a little bit. This is divine love, agape, the, the love that is about self-giving that comes from God. Agape love, so like the love of God, as represented by his people. It must be sincere. We are to hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and be devoted to one another in, this is philios, in brotherly friendship love. He says, love must be sincere. He, he's telling us that he's about to list out this whole entire principle for us about friendships. Love must be sincere. It's a great example, I think, in this of the complexity of, of, of uh, the Greek language where uh, English falls short. Because he uses these two different words for love to give two different shades of meaning. But um, if I could get you behind the text even more, sorry for all of the like um, deep behind the text stuff today, but uh, this is actually in Paul's writing, not a sentence. He writes two words, and together they kind of um, just form a description. There's no verb here. In the Greek, it actually just reads this way. I'll put it up here. It says, the love, non-hypocritical. This is the word that he uses for what we call sincerity. He says, love that is not hypocritical is like this. This is almost like a to-do list, the header of a to-do list. If, you were, if I walked into your house and I saw on your kitchen table um, a, a, a post-it note that said, take the dog to the groomers, go pick up the dry cleaning, pick up a package at the post office. I don't know if we do any of those things anymore, but you know, uh, it wouldn't take me long to figure out that what you had just assembled there was a list of things that you needed to complete. And in the same way, what Paul has done here is to say what comes after this is all just a list of what describes non-hypocritical love amongst Jesus' followers. And isn't that good news? That someone could list out for us what it looks like to not be hypocrites because how many of us, let's just be really honest, right? This, so this is a moment to be not a hypocrite. Uh, how many of us are sick of hypocrisy in the church? All right, louder for the people in the back, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody likes to be around people who say one thing and then do 
another thing. When we think about hypocrisy today, when we think about um, this word or this, this problem, we think about it often in the sense of people speaking one thing and doing another thing. And that actually is a word that comes from the ancient Greek theater. It, it was... Um, the custom of the day to have actors on stage who would um, have these like props or these masks that they would put up in front of their face and that would be the character that they would play. That's why even today, if you go to a drama camp or do something in theater, this is kind of the universal sign for theater. It's these ancient Greek masks. One is smiling, one is sad. And the actor, to convey the emotion, would actually just switch masks in between the scenes to play different parts. And this whole thing became called hypocrisy. It was playing a part on stage that is not actually true to your real life. I, I, I was talking to a dad just uh, 10 minutes ago out here in the atrium, and he was telling me that his kids were in uh, Suzical not too long ago, and uh, showed me pictures of them dressed in costume, dressed up like, uh, you know, someone from the play. And this is, this is what it is that Paul's talking about, that sometimes Jesus followers can act one way, but then they get off the stage and they continue the act into real life. It's hypocrisy. It's, it's off-putting. And what Paul is trying to say to us is, that, is this, is that being devoted to one another in brotherly love requires sincerity. Here's how I would describe sincerity. It's bringing your true face to your relationships. If you want to grow in your friendships... If you want to actually experience the richness of life with friends, the greatest gift that you could ever give to someone else is the privilege of taking off the act and showing them face to face your true face. That's um, daunting, isn't it? I mean, that, that's, a little, that's a little challenging for us. But it's so important for us to bring our true face to our friendships because the best friendships look like this. They, they, they don't put on an act. They actually bring to reality, to this other person, the truest expression of who they are. Acknowledging they're not perfect. Acknowledging they have flaws. Acknowledging that God is doing something in them to carry on the work of becoming more like Jesus in their life. But knowing that they're not exactly a finished product yet. And still being honest with their friends. Here, here's, what, here's what genuine love looks like. It, it means we're hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. Being devoted to one another in love. It's hard to be devoted to somebody when you don't actually give them your authentic self. Honoring one another above yourselves. Not lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord Play acting or, or pretending or image shaping, it stops us from being devoted to one another because it's all about me. See, um, philios, brotherly love, it's not a love that fills my own needs. Friendship is not actually designed for us to be satisfied. That's actually the love that God gives to us. I heard an incredible um, quote this week. I, I wrote it down and I didn't put it up here and I'm going to misquote it, but it's uh, Je Jeannie Allen in one of her podcasts on friendship. She, she says this. She says, so oftentimes we go towards other people to fill a need that only God can fill and then we're angry at them when they can't fill it because we're trying to take friendship and 
push it out into someone else to make me feel better. No, brotherly love, philios, is actually all about what can I give to you. It's a totally different paradigm. When we take off our masks and we take off the parts that we play and we present our true, real self to somebody else, we're actually able in those moments to authentically serve and love and give and build into the life of someone else. So here, here's, um, here's what Paul says. I'm going to read the rest of this list. And I'd love for you to figure out what is a selfish act in this list. Uh, there's an episode of Friends that I love where Phoebe is trying to figure out what a truly altruistic act looks like. If she would have read this, she would have known. It's this. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. What of that is selfish? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. What in that is for you? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What about that is about you? Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. I hope you saw it as we walked through those that, that actually none of those marks of true non-hypocritical love have anything to do with you feeling better about yourself. It has everything. Brotherly friendship and love has everything to do with what you can bring to the other person. I wonder if you can imagine how rich your life would be if you did all these things. If you actually were able to do this whole list, I wonder if you can imagine that, that you'd be a satisfied person, that you'd feel the, the, the goodness of God in your life, that you would actually feel better about your life than you actually do today while you're, you know, all of us are trying to be uh, on this rat race of selfishness. It would be incredible. But here's all I want us to show you today is that all this takes is for us to be face to face with others, showing them our true face. To do this requires that you and I would take a relational risk. To not try and play a part. To, to not try and feel like you've got to prove yourself to fit in. To, to show up in your friendships, you know, we say it this way, warts and all. <laughs> To, to actually show the hopes and the dreams that you have in your heart for your future. To share your insecurities and your fears and the things that bother you. To be willing to give to others because you care about their needs more than your own. It takes a relational risk to show up authentically and honestly. There is no risk in playing a part. You're actually trying to mitigate the risk of failure or rejection. But isn't it true that some of our best friends are the ones that we know so authentically, who are willing to share with us, you know, the things about them that are quirky and funny? Uh, Kristen and I have uh, this couple friend from our last church, and um, probably Kristen and her would be considered best friends. They just got matching tattoos, so that's kind of like best friend status, right? That's like kind of up there. And... Um, she is the strangest person I know. And she's probably watching right now. Hey, Laura. And you know what I love about Laura and what Kristen loves about Laura? 
is she knows she's the strangest person in the world. She's okay with it. And she shows up to the friendship with authenticity and with her true self, not trying to mask or, or, or shape, but just trying to be who God created her to be. And I think all of us, when we do this, it gives us the, the access to, to be the blessing that we want to be in other people's lives. It, it allows us to approach friendship not from the standpoint of what can you give me, but, but it changes it to what can I give you? Um, when we relate to one another true face to true face, our posture isn't one of receiving, it's one of blessing. I don't think we can truly bless other people if we don't know the absolute miracle of being blessed by God as we are. See, see, this is incredible to me that God loves me not because of any act that I put on or anything that I've ever done, but he, the Bible says that God loved me while I was a sinner. Christ died for me. That while you hadn't cleaned yourself up or moved yourself off of sort of the naughty list, God actually saw you and said, worth it. Worth it for me to give everything for you. Worth it for me to give to you because I want to be your friend. I want to be known. I want us to have a relationship. You see, if you've known that blessing of God, then what's next for us is to actually not hoard that blessing for ourselves. But I'd say it this way. A true-faced person is a blessed person. And blessed people bless people. If you want to be a blessing today, if you want to be a blessing in the neighborhood that you live in, show up authentically, caring about other people, doing for others, being a blessing on the block. Now, um, in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss us to uh, something that's going to be incredibly difficult for some of us and incredibly exciting for others of us, but we're all going to do it, and it's going to be great. Uh, and, and so here's, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to just start the conversation with somebody else uh, that maybe you don't even know. We're going to be uh, getting up out of here. We're going to be going to the atrium, and there's coffee. That's a good icebreaker if you need to hold something. Um, but all around our atrium are all of these names of schools. And, and I, I would just want to invite you, uh, parents, go get your kids and then go find your school district. And, and what we're trying to accomplish here is just gathering people together by where you live. Some of you live in like Iowa. Good luck finding your people. But most of us kind of live here in Olathe or Blue Valley or Shawnee Mission, right? And, uh, and here's what I'd love for you to do. is to not make this awkward, right? But to just simply show up. And to sincerely introduce yourself to someone. Here's, how, here's what that looks like. Um, I'm just taking the best of what it looks like for a kid. I watched this at camp. All the kids said, hi, my name's Dan. Do you want to be my friend? Now, as adults, you're not going to do this, right? You're just going to say, hi, my name's Dan. What's your name? Okay, or you're going to say your name. Uh, but you're going to introduce yourself sincerely, right? Like just, just to, to honestly. And then um, here, here's something. Because friendships aren't necessarily about the relationship. C.S. Lewis makes this point. He says that lovers talk incessantly about their relationship. Friends never do because it's not the point. The point is that there's interest in each other's lives, but the friendship itself is never the issue. We don't want to make friendship the issue. We just want to connect people and, and help us uh, become acquainted and live through life together, doing different things. And so, um, if, if you're someone, I think about my, my good friends here at Heartland, um, I've had 
two things happen. They introduce themselves and then, then initially, right out of the gate, they have invited me or they have offered to help me. And now, you might not know anybody in the next couple of minutes, and that, this part might be for later, but I just think so, so deeply of the friends that I have who have said to me, hey, would you like to go see a Royals game? And I go, yeah, that'd be amazing. Do you have tickets? And they go, no. <laughs> but do you want to? <laughs> and then, you know, hey, can I, can I help you with this or can I help you with that? That's how friendships get started. It's, it's this common interest. Here's, here's a line you can use today. Okay, you ready? Um, you, you, could simply, you could simply say this. Um, hey, I would love to see you the same time, the same place next week. You, you get that? Right? Because you're both probably going to be here anyway. You might as well, like, reconnect next week. Right? And you can maybe, like, just get a cup of coffee. Right? Take it slow, guys. We don't have to, you know, all that stuff. But have an invitation. Here's, a, here's something. Sincere, true face, right? Ask questions. Guys, ask questions. It's really good for marriage, really good for friendship. Uh, one of the secrets of First Steps, which is this environment that we have here at Heartland where um, if you're new, we'd love to introduce you. Here's the secret sauce of First Steps. A lot of people think it's like a really fancy slide deck that we walk people through how we run our church. We don't do that at all, actually. We have a deck of cards. And on each card has a sharing question. And we just pull out a card. And then we, as staff, answer that question together. Maybe a lot of you have done this with us. And it's the greatest thing. People learn so much about our staff and about our church just through sharing questions. So, so, so things like, um, if, if you could be any color of a Lucky Charms marshmallow, which one would you be? That's, that's not a question on the card, but you get the, you get the point. Um, if you could play any position in baseball, what would it be? What's your best Saturday afternoon? What's your favorite thing to do in Johnson County? These are just some of the simple things. We've been learning as a staff that who questions are often better than what questions. So who's someone who's been really influential for you? Or who's someone around this neighborhood that you've connected with? Or who's someone here at Heartland that you know? Right? Who questions are really good. But, but ask sincerely. Get to know. You want to know the other person. And then finally, finally there's this. Um, pray. Gosh so hard sometimes to just think about that with friends, but, but you, you want to go deep? Do you remember what Paul said? He said, um, never cease praying. One of the sincere marks of brotherly love in the community is that you would think about people who aren't you and pray for them throughout the week. If you want to be a real blessing in someone's life, pray for someone else. And so maybe today you just meet someone out in the lobby, you got a cup of coffee and um, you say, hey, can we do this again, same time, same place next week? And by the way, I don't, this is weird, but Dan said I should ask this question. Like, um, how, could I pray for you this week if I thought about you? Could I pray, how could I pray for you? And then just see what God does. It's not hard, but it takes intentionality. Because the open secret here is that friendship is a labor of love where each of us bring our true face to the relationship Hey, Harlan, we love you so much. You are loved incredibly by God, and we will see you here, same time, same place, next week. Go.